Shalom friends. Hey everybody, welcome back to Access. My name is Timothy and I am so grateful to be opening the scriptures with you all today. How's everybody been lately? Anybody struggling with physical health, mental health, emotional stability, spiritual vitality? How's your faith these days? I just want to get honest with you all. You know that this week it's been a little rough for me personally. I, I've been living with depression and anxiety for about three decades now. And I had gone through different therapies and medications and different groups. And I'll admit, it, it's been a very lonely journey at times. You know, when I was younger, I, I was beyond lost. I actually chose to be lost, you know, in order to find myself. And I thought, man, I am living the life, you know. I would do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and I was answerable to nobody. Man, I was invincible. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that sort of power and freedom, right? But there were these moments that I sensed God was chasing after me. You know, he was calling me to pay attention. So many times I thought that I was at my lowest and then God's light would just shine into my situation and he'd draw me out of all that darkness. But then just a few months would pass and I compromise again and I find myself lower than I had been before. This cycle went on and on for a few years, and it got to the point where there was almost nothing left of me. I mean, how stubborn and arrogant I was. I just wasn't learning my lessons, you know. I kept giving in to my own deceitful desires, and, and that drew me even further from God, and it drew me lower into this pit of deep, dark despair. But friends, let me tell you, I found for myself that it was in those darkest moments when God's light shines the brightest. I hope that we all have spiritual eyes that are open to his guiding light, that we would learn our lessons faster and, you know, stay walking on the path that he puts before us. Please know that when I prepare these studies and record this podcast, that I am lifting all of you up in prayer. So whatever it is you're facing, I'm praying that God shines light right into your situation. I'm praying for wisdom and discernment, for provision and protection, for guidance and fortitude, for a renewal of our minds and a refreshing in our spirits. Our study today is called Deceitful Desire. If you need a handout for today's Access Learn study, please visit our Facebook group, Connections Ministries of Canada, and you'll find all our studies there under the Files tab. Now let's get started. Deceitful Desire Today my wife Beverly will be reading Genesis chapter 3 from the Complete Jewish Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal which Adonai God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you are not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You are neither to eat from it nor touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, It is not true that you will surely die, because God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it had a pleasing appearance, and that the tree was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. 
They heard the voice of Adonai God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, so the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai God among the trees in the garden. Adonai God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I ordered you not to eat? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Adonai God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman answered, The serpent tricked me, so I ate. Adonai God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust as long as you live. I will put animosity between you and the woman, and between your descendant and her descendant. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. You will bring forth children in pain. Your desire will be toward your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to what your wife said and ate from the tree about which I gave you the order, you are not to eat from it. The ground is cursed on your account. You will work hard to eat from it as long as you live. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat field plants. You will eat bread by the sweat of your forehead till you return to the ground, for you were taken out of it. You are dust, and you will return to dust. The man called his wife Hava, because she was the mother of all living. Adonai God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Adonai God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now to prevent his putting out his hand and taking also from the tree of life, eating and living forever, therefore Adonai God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So here in Genesis 3 is what we typically refer to as the fall. And I want to share just two different perspectives, the Christian versus the Jewish perspective of this account. Evangelical Christians, they see the fall as the event whereby man's relationship to God was broken and evil came alive in a way that had physical consequences as well as spiritual ones. It was that moment when sin didn't just enter into the world, it became part of our human nature, a part of our fiber and perhaps even our genetic material. As a result of our sin natures, we die, not just physically, but spiritually and therefore eternally. So we need a savior, right? One who could deliver and rescue and restore us to this condition equal to what Adam was before he sinned. On the other hand, the Jews see what happened in the garden as sort of a liberation. So man was given the ability and the responsibility to make choices. So prior to Adam and Eve's act of rebellion, they simply did what God said, you know, almost robotically because there was no other choice. Why? Because for Adam and Eve, nothing existed except for good. And good was this single pathway that was just laid out by God with no other alternatives. So when the serpent introduced evil, mankind gained a sort of freedom 
Uh, we could now choose for ourselves whether we wanted to love God and obey him or to follow our own deceived ways and infected hearts to do as we wished. To a degree, mankind could even choose how to follow God. That's kind of like we could work out our own salvation. I think it's helpful to have these two perspectives, an understanding of these two perspectives, um, before we go in and observe this text a little more closely. So let's start with verse 1, the serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any wild animal which God had created. Notice the wording there. It doesn't say that the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal. It just says more crafty than any wild animal which God had created. So apparently the serpent wasn't even categorized as a wild animal. The serpent was unique, a living being that was separate and distinct, but in a very negative way. Now the Hebrew word for serpent used here is nechash. Now nechash is the same word, interestingly, that's used for witchcraft, sorcery, and oracle. This nechash was sneaky, he was crafty, the text says. He was sly, and we see that kind of play out when he starts to speak, and he asks the woman what sounds almost like a riddle, did God really say that you're not to eat from any tree in the garden? When the woman replies in verse 2, she says, yeah, we could eat from any of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but about that tree, right there in the middle of the garden, well, God said, you're not to eat from it? or even touch it, or you will die. Right there, when that woman lied, or maybe she repeated the man's lie, and she told the serpent that she wasn't even allowed to touch the tree. See, she hadn't even eaten the fruit yet. She hadn't gained the knowledge of good and evil yet. So then, where does this notion to lie come from, if the fall of man hadn't occurred yet? This crafty serpent now begins the assault on God's character by telling the woman that God's a liar. It's not true that you will surely die. You know, God knows that on the day that you eat from this, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He plants a seed of doubt in the woman's mind. The rest of it, that was up to her. Take a moment and put yourself in this woman's shoes. She's being faced with this opportunity to fulfill desires that she has. And these desires that man was created with, God created these desires. You know, because we are earthly creatures, fleshly creatures, we will naturally desire things like uh, food and water and shelter and sex and comfort. And, and it was God that created those desires. So these aren't sins in and of themselves. However, when we desire to please ourselves, regardless of whatever God commands, then that's where they cause us to violate God's righteousness. All we're concerned with is fulfilling that lust, that desire for self. Have you ever been told that something was completely hands-off, that something was totally off-limits, and you are not allowed to have it? It makes you curious doesn't it? It makes you want to see, well, why can't I have it? What would be so bad if I had that? 
Perhaps this is what the woman was dealing with in the garden. She saw that this tree was good for food. She saw that it was pleasing in its appearance. It was beautiful and it was desirable for making one wise. Have you ever had to set restrictions for a child, set some boundaries for a child before? And you see them just want to break that rule. You know, the motivator has to be something pretty strong. Okay. And I see that with the woman here. What was her motivator? I think that the thing that she was seeking most was wisdom. She could have gotten food from anywhere else, right? And as beautiful as this fruit was, she could eat of any tree in the garden. But what was it about this tree that was different? It would give her the wisdom that she now desired. So she took the fruit and ate it. But not just herself. No, she went off to her husband and said, honey, you got to eat this too. And he listens to her and he eats it. I'm sure the words of King Solomon would reflect what the people had experienced here. For in much wisdom is much grief. The more knowledge, the more suffering. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18. Remember, prior to eating this fruit, the man and woman had no knowledge of good and evil. So what process did the woman go through before she made this informed decision? Well, I want to balance things off with what's written in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasing in its appearance, the lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was desirable for making one wise, the boastful pride of life. Remember that desires in and of themselves are not sinful. God created mankind with the ability to desire things. But when those desires go and make you want to go against what God says, then that's when it becomes a problem. So question, was there evil in the Garden of Eden? I mean, up to this point, we know that the woman had already lied, or she may have repeated the lie that her husband had told her. We don't know. And um, we see that she has these desires in herself, but desires to serve herself instead of being obedient to God's command. They were desires to actually go against what God commanded. So was there evil in the garden? And if there was evil in the garden, then did God create evil? These are just some of the questions that run around in my mind, and perhaps you thought of these things before as well. But one thing that we could be sure of, reading from scripture, is that God created mankind. The ancient Hebrew sages' understanding was that God created man with both a good and an evil side to him. Uh, they call it the good and an evil inclination. And uh, there's these two Hebrew phrases, Yetzer Hatov and Yetzer Hara. Tov for the good inclination and Ra for the evil inclination. So according to this view, the man and woman were just acting out their inherent evil inclinations when they first added to God's command by including those words and don't touch it. And then second, when they deliberately disobeyed his commands by eating the fruit that God had already told them not to do. And at this point, 
Their eyes were completely open. They eat the fruit, and now they have this knowledge of good and evil. They became very aware of their nakedness, and they tried to cover up that nakedness by sewing together some fig leaves. I always chuckle at this point of the story because it's so like us as human beings. Like, I stop and think about my kids, and when they do something that they know that I explicitly told them, don't be doing this, there's a rule, you know, I put down a boundary and they disobey me, they know what they've done. And it's so funny when I hear one of the kids say, shh, quiet, dad's coming, and they try to hide or they try to put away whatever it is that they messed up. That's pretty much what's happening here in verse 8 when Adonai God is walking through the garden and the man and woman are hiding from him. And he calls out to them and he asks them, hey, what happened here? God knew what happened. But instead of accusing them and condemning them right there on the spot, he gives him the opportunity to fess up. He even helps them out with the confession a little bit by asking, Have you eaten from the tree from which I ordered you not to eat? But check out what the man does. He replies, Well, you know that woman that you gave me? Yeah, she gave me the fruit. So indirectly, like, hold on, is he blaming the woman? Or is he blaming God? You know, it's like, the woman you gave to be with me, well, yeah, she gave me the fruit. So, you know, I ate it. What kind of sorry, half-hearted confession was that after blaming the woman and blaming God? Yeah, I did it. So? Then God turns to the woman and says, what is this that you've done? And she goes, oh, well, the serpent tricked me. So I ate it. Another half-hearted confession. It's like she's saying, well, you know, it's not my fault. She claimed that the serpent tricked her, but was that really the case? I mean, all that the serpent did initially was ask a question, and the woman's response, it wasn't truth. So once she told that lie, the gate was open for the Yetzir Hara, that evil inclination naturally set inside her to take her to the next step of disobedience. So after this game of shame and blame, God lays down the consequences. He turns to the serpent first and says, Listen, you, because you've done this, you are going to be the lowest of the low, and you're going to crawl with your belly to the ground and eat dust the rest of your life. You're going to be lesser than all the animals that I've created. Let's take a moment to consider, where was this serpent? In the Garden of Eden, a holy place. This is an example of the Garden of Eden being a parallel of heaven. Most Christians would be familiar with this being called Lucifer, and um, he's up there in heaven, and he rebelled against God, and then he was cast down to earth. And here we have this serpent, different from all the other creatures. He's walking upright in the garden, and he's living in the presence of God. Now the serpent's form changed, and it's cast out of the garden. The reality of duality at work. And here we see God continuing on with this pattern that we've seen through the entire creation story. The pattern of separation. And he's separating good and evil. Tov and Ra. The kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. But God's not done with the serpent yet. In verse 15, we see God speak this prophecy of seed. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
In this verse, here we get just a peek of God's plan for restoring humanity to himself. It's much easier for us today to understand that the seed of the woman spoken of is Messiah Yeshua, and the seed of the serpent are the spiritual evil workings of Hasatan, the evil inclinations naturally set in all of us, the Yetzir Hara. It's our deceitful desires and this spirit of disobedience. Isn't it interesting that while God is cursing the serpent, he's also promising the woman seed, that he's promising that there will be future generations and something good is going to come out from her seed. But it wouldn't be without any difficulty. Now the woman was also condemned for her sin, and she was condemned to the state of sorrow and pregnancy and child rearing and, and being subjected to her husband. Can it be because she ate the fruit of the tree to satisfy her own lusts that she would endure this bitter pain, that it would multiply within her? Was it because she lured her husband to sin that she would then be subjected to his authority? Adam wasn't without fault either. He turned his back on the voice of God to follow his wife in eating that which God told him to stay away from. Now the woman sins because she acted independently of her husband disdaining his leadership, counsel, and his protection. And the man sins because he abandoned his leadership and followed the wishes of his wife rather than the commands of God. In both cases, God's intended roles were reversed. Since the man abandoned his leadership, God curses the ground that he came from so that it would be more difficult for fruit to spring up from it. At the same time, while God is cursing the ground, the object of this man's work, he is still allowing for this richness to rise up from it. He's promising the man that, hey, you'll still have food. You just have to work harder. Do you see what God is doing here? He curses the serpent and he's disciplining his children. He's holding them accountable for their actions and the choices that they've made. We can find the wise counsel in scripture where it says, My son, don't despise Adonai's discipline or resent his reproof. For Adonai corrects those he loves, like a father who delights in his son. That's Proverbs 3 verses 11 to 12. Friends, how often do we find ourselves in that situation where we know that God is correcting us? We might come across something in scripture that is holding us accountable, like we're being revealed his truth. And when we measure our lives up against his truth and our sinfulness is being revealed, it's being mirrored back to us, what are we going to do? Are you going to wallow in your shame? Try to cover it up? Are you going to hide? Or maybe you want to take responsibility for your own actions and continue to learn from God, continue to spend time in his word. Allow him to reveal his truth to you so that you could live a life where you're right with him. One of my favorite passages is found in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sin, correcting faults, and training in right living. Thus anyone who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. Before we close off our study here in Genesis chapter 3, there's this one line in verse 20 that seems a little bit out of place. It says that the man called his wife Hava because she was the mother of all living. 
it seems a little strange because now being condemned to die after their sin and after God had just made his declarations, we see Adam kind of stepping up here and exercising his authority in naming his wife and calls her Chava or Eve, which literally means life or life giver. And although they would both eventually face death, here Adam is celebrating his wife's femininity and hopeful for the future generations that will come. Verse 21, Adonai God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why did God do this? Are we getting a picture of his mercy here? Remember when Adam and Eve first took that fruit, their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. They tried to cover up their nakedness, their shame with those fig leaves, but that wasn't good enough as far as God was concerned. Now this was because Adam and Eve made their own coverings and not God. As this covering represents this spiritual covering that we must receive from God, God wasn't satisfied because man cannot create his own covering for sin. This is the first blood sacrifice in the Bible. And it seems that there had been no death in the garden until that point. And those animals whose skin was used to clothe Adam and Hava didn't die from old age. They had to be killed. This is another fundamental principle that we must pay attention to. The only suitable payment for sin is the shedding of innocent blood. Now that we see God's mercy at work here, and he had already covered over them, now it's time where he sends them out of the garden. In verse 22, we get another piece of this puzzle of just who God is and what his attributes consist of. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now this statement goes back to Genesis 1.26, where it says, God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them rule. So Adam and Eve, they had been removed from the holy garden of Eden. And mankind was now separated from God, both physically and spiritually. And since these human beings have proven themselves untrustworthy, God would not allow them anywhere near the tree of life. In fact, they couldn't even be allowed to be in the garden anymore. God doesn't allow uncleanness and sin anywhere near his perfect holiness. So he placed this angelic guard at the eastern part of the garden. Apparently, there was an entrance to the garden from the east. So now we have this garden in the eastern part of the land of Eden, and the angel is placed at the east end of that garden. I wonder why that might be significant, but we'll save that one for another study. At first read, the end of Genesis chapter 3 might sound a little bit sad and depressing, and that's probably because we're identifying a little bit more with Adam and Hava. But I'd really like to encourage you to look over this chapter all over again and focus in more on what is God doing? What is he saying? What can we learn about God and his character? Do you see the mercy? Do you see the grace? Do you see his promises and his plan for salvation? And what spiritual lessons can we learn about the story that takes place in this physical garden? It's my hope and prayer that more and more people would have a growing desire to want to study the scriptures and know God more. 
And if that's you today, if you want to continue seeking truth to know who God is, I pray that you would have the spiritual eyes to see what God wants you to see, that your spiritual ears can hear his voice, and that your heart would remain open to the leading of his spirit. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's Access Learn study. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to walk through the scriptures with you, and I'm always excited to see where God's going to lead us next. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua and the Shalom of God our Father be with all. Amen.